This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. It's time for Tuesday Terror, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. We left our hero in the sub-basement of Weatherby One, under the hospital, under the morgue, in a chemical supply closet that has become the venue for an unofficial and highly personal autopsy. This is Day Eight, Part Three. Sir Adrian views the body. It is the eighth day of the return to Aldergate. The time and place of writing is around eight o'clock in the evening, in the private study of the manse of the Vice-Chancellor. We begin. <sighs> you couldn't bear to look at them. And yet, you couldn't look away. The legs. Sammy's legs. Inanimate. Insensate. Mere complexities of mire and blood. <sighs> so ghoulishly out of place. An unnatural twist in the natural order of the world. Dr. Yi was saying something. Eventually, Standish said something too, and then they took it in turn. You didn't hear a word of it. You remember. And yet, you do not remember. 
the smothering clutter and closeness of that ridiculous closet, the weird glow of those two misplaced lumps of flesh under the examiner's spotlight. The sense of standing there is burned into your brain, and yet you cannot recall the details now. Two legs. You remember looking at them. You cannot remember what they looked like, except that they looked... wrong. Unreal. Alien things. And pale. Far too pale. Yes, part of you grabbed onto that. Pale. Too pale, too pale for Sammy. Then, it wasn't her. Hmm. That little scrap of madness howled inside your skull with a voice of cold and sober logic. Too pale for Sammy. Well, then it wasn't Sammy after all, was it? No. Sammy started around a Pantone 714C. Get the swatches out. Then add a preference for short skirts and warm climates. Subtract a year in Aldergate. Carry the three and QED. A mistake has been made. A mistake. Conspiracy. A hoax. A prank. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. Because this isn't right. This can't be her. You stepped forward, tremblingly, walked toward the metal cart, the plastic tray, those chilled scraps of misplaced meat. <laughs> and all the while, the mad hope ranted on, drawing from some profoundly human well of soft delusion a thousand quibbles and objections. It explained to you beyond a doubt, with footnotes and citations, that these legs were not Sammy's, could not be Sammy's. Alternative theories bloomed and flowered, and then withered on the vine. Yes, that dark and curling vine, twining upward from the ankle, just as it always had. Sammy's vine. <laughs> oh, how it has grown! You saw it first when it was just a twig, a little stick-and-poke keepsake in your second year at Aldergate. Hmm, would have been, what, eight months after the two of you had begun what Kilbury called your hate dates to his Sunday seminars. <laughs> hmm. Oh, but no, no, that's not right. Oh, you saw it first that August day in the Pearl Parvis Library, Sammy reclining on a banquette with her sandaled feet 
propped on the lap of a dark-eyed girl with severely braided hair. But later on, yes, that day out on the pent, sitting on the grass under the scholar's tree, you'd seen it before, but never really looked, certainly never asked. That day, she showed it to you. And to Alistair, and to Simon Arkwell, come to think of it. Yes, he was there, in a top hat and a silk kimono, being a pain in the ass. Samalina, darling. <laughs> oh, Sam, oh my heart, what a dreadful birthmark you've got on your ankle. <laughs> well... Sammy was as incapable of embarrassment as she was of unaided flight, but she clearly didn't much like having to admit that her first attempt at a self-tattoo hadn't quite matched her expectations. The little vine's roots were lost in a blotchy mess, and the first two tendrils were quite illegible even then. Looking at them again today, you couldn't have begun to guess who they'd been meant to memorialize. The third cow's in equally poor shape, but you remember that when it was fresh. A lopsided capital H. The dark-eyed girl from the library was long gone by then, but you recalled her name was Hyacinth. Hmm. And Sammy had not been idle in the meantime, in her life or in her inking. Above the H, the vine had sprouted two new shoots, a workmanlike G and a really passable CF. They still hang there today, fading gently in the shade of the mighty explosion of growth above them. It had got up nearly to her knee, a flowering profusion of beloved letters from every living alphabet, truly a remarkable cast of characters. And she'd improved her craft immeasurably over the years. The topmost tendril curls with delicate affection around a pair of exquisite initials, ones any professional inksman would be proud of. V.C. Wonder who V.C. can be. (laughs) You're the only V.C. you know, and it certainly isn't you. (laughs) No, can't be you. You've already taken your place, haven't you? You're down where you belong. That little cluster just above the ankle bone. (sighs) It caught you in the gut, somehow, seeing the clear, empty skin all round it. All the subsequent history of the illustrious and infinitely entangled Samantha Braden is a snarled jungle, but it all keeps a respectful distance from that little faded clover leaf. A, Y, B, A. 
Do you suppose you're the first A or the last? <laughs> Stop that. It's no good. It's no use. <sighs> Think on that another day. For now, life goes on. <sighs> Quiet. Focus on the facts. Focus on the crime. The murder. The investigation. Yes. Just the facts. Though they are as blurred and obscure as those first two identities that found their way onto the poor woman's foot. <sighs> the best you can do for her is find who killed her. Focus on the crime. The wounds. And it's funny. The wounds themselves didn't faze you, somehow. If there'd been signs of violence, signs of cruelty, that is, you don't know how you'd have reacted. But, no, nothing like that. The cleanest of clean cuts, just above the knees. And yet, you can hardly think of them. The mystery that's consumed your attention, despite your best attempt to be sensible, lies at the other end of the evidence. Yes, the matter of Sammy's left foot. Whatever can you make of that? <sighs> it's just as Standish said, or would have said if he'd had the chance. Sammy's left foot is gone. Missing, absent without official leave. But, also, just as Standish said, there's not really much point in worrying about it. It can't have had anything to do with her murder. It's an old injury, entirely healed over. You just can't help wondering, that's all. You'd no idea Sammy had lost her foot. Well, after all, how would you? It's not the sort of thing she would broadcast, unless there was some magnificently self-aggrandizing story behind it. Baz never said anything about it, but, well, Baz may not have known either. Sammy may have been incapable of embarrassment, but she could be profoundly private about things she didn't need the world to know and she would have had access to the best prosthetics money could buy. If, for whatever reason, she didn't want the word to get out, well, the word would probably have stayed in. <sighs> How good are prosthetic feet these days? Good enough to walk with naturally? Probably. So... Where is Sammy's left foot now? That just might be a clue. Did her killer take her prosthetic? Hmm. 
If so, there's something extra cruel about that, somehow. A gratuitous obscenity. Uh, the nakedness of that smooth, horrible mass of translucent scar tissue, just at the place where her left ankle stopped being an ankle. Ugh. No, forget about it. <laughs> you can't, not likely. But at least don't focus on it. Be a good little amateur detective. You've got new information, new grist for the deduction mill. Shove it through the brain-like object between your ears and see what comes out the other side. All right now. Put yourself there, on the scene. Whatever it was, wherever it was. Yes, you've still nothing to go on there. But still, imagine how it may have looked. Variety of possibilities, but only a finite number. So, what's it look like? The fatal moment. Yes. Put yourself there. There's Sammy. Sammy running, running for her life. No. Sammy fighting, furious, on the attack, even. Hmm. You can imagine that. But it's not what you're imagining, is it? No. Somehow you can't see Sammy's story ending in fight or flight. Perhaps because that means, at the end, she lost. And not to you. You couldn't have that, now could you, self-old egotist? Well, you're not ruling out those possibilities, to be sure. But still, what you see when you close your eyes is... Sammy... Twenty years old, but still Sammy. Standing. Standing still. Surprised, or unsuspecting, or unaware. Sammy. Standing there. And then... Oh, what then? Sammy, lying on the ground... On the floor, on the bed, on the operating table. <sighs> Stop. Twist it. Stop. She only had to suffer one of them at most. No need for you to sample from the lot. Anyhow, you're getting at it all wrong. Start with what you know, what you've learned. Only build from there. All right. So, what do you know? What have you learned? <sighs> the wounds. Focus on the wounds themselves. The lopping of the legs. Work out how it was done, and you're well on your way. Especially since there's an oddity there that's still not been resolved. Such 
perfect cuts, pristine cross-sections through skin and muscle and bone, clean and clinical. And yet, the working theory, for want of a better, is that that's how Sammy was killed. How? How do you slice a living leg like that? Hmm, the medical examiner seems to have been stumped. Doesn't put it like that, of course. However, means or method unspecified comes to the same thing. Yes. Hmm. Standish has forwarded the case file to you, complete with photographs. Uh, you're no expert, of course, but it's just so neat. Like something out of an anatomy text. Or like something you'd prepare in a lab. But there's no chance of that. Not with the time frame that's been put forward by the M.E. Sammy's legs were found not more than half an hour after they were detached. And here's the thing. They're clean. But they have not been cleaned. There's practically no blood on them, but also no cleaning agents. A certain amount of dust smudging, which may have been from the bag they were found in. The skin surface has about as much dirt and sweat residue and so on as, well, as you'd expect to find on the legs of a woman who'd showered in the morning and had a full and active day prior to being murdered. What can you make of that? The report makes it sound so... normal. But that normalcy itself is so dashed odd. The M.E. can write all they like about no sign of a struggle, but that just makes it odder and leaves all the work ahead of you. They can't tell you how the murder was done, but it must have been done somehow. Come now, choreograph the scene under ideal circumstances. For the murderer, that is. After all, Sammy was an adventurous sort. Try anything once and all that. Suppose she fancied the idea of being casually murdered and decided to cooperate to the best of her ability. All right, then. You stand there, Sammy. Just so. Mr. Murderer, step forward. Draw your samurai sword, honed to razor keenness by masters of their craft. Yes. And hiya! One, two, one, two, and through and through. Off with her legs. And down she goes, in a cloud of arterial spray. Blood absolutely everywhere. No, no good. Doesn't work. All right, try again. Pull yourself together now, Sammy, and try it lying down this time. Perhaps if you... No, still an awful mess. How does Mr. Murderer get round that? Hmm. Lightsaber. 
or some functional equivalent, something that uses heat or electricity, cauterize the wound as it goes. Shylock approved, not a drop of blood spilt. Yes, that would solve the mess problem. And it would leave behind a leg stump cooked medium well, which Sammy's isn't. So, it's no good after all. Ah, dash it. Any way you can think to do it, you either get too much mess or not enough. Suppose if you hung her upside down, bungee jumping style. Yeah, this is getting grotesque. But there's some plausibility there. Feasibility, at least. Hmm. Now there's only the difficulty of getting Sammy trussed up and strung. <laughs> it has been tried before. <laughs> hmm. Can she have been drugged? No sign of it in the lab work. Already dead. Mm, the M.E. doesn't think so. And no marks from rope or cuffs or anything, which you might expect even if it had been consensual. Yes, we do keep coming back to that. Can Sammy have been a willing participant in her own dismemberment? Ah. Sweet mercy, are you seriously developing an assisted suicide theory? For Sammy? <sighs> well, it would mean that there are significant facts of which you are entirely unaware. Then again, that's not really an objection, is it? In fact, that's the one thing of which you can be absolutely certain. And it's the closest you've come to a scenario that even remotely squares with the evidence. An absurd and contrived scenario, to be sure, but... Well, as Mr. Sherlock Holmes said, chuck out what doesn't fit and live with whatever's left. Hmm... <sighs> Except that's nonsense. You can't eliminate everything that's impossible unless you know everything that's possible. Which you can't unless you know everything. Everything that can be known, and everything that can't. No, you've simply got to account for the failure of your imagination to conceive of a scenario that's not only possible, but also non-ridiculous. Yes, because that's the real flaw in this whole idea, isn't it? It fits the evidence, but that's all it does. It requires everyone involved to come together in a grand conspiracy, specifically to produce this exact set of evidence. Provides means, certainly. Opportunity, to be sure but only at the expense of any conceivable motive. <sighs> it's not impossible. And that does put it ahead of anything else you've thought of yet.
But it is entirely stupid. Paranoia is one thing, but you're not yet so far gone that you'd suspect Sammy of sacrificing her legs, possibly her life, just to confuse and annoy. Although... No. No, best leave it all alone for the moment. Pass it off to subconscious Adrian. He's generally cleverer than you are at silly puzzles anyhow. Also, it's almost time for you to start getting ready for your address to Regent House. And you've still got your whole busy afternoon to get through. And that is where you really ought to be directing your diarist's energy. The second maddening bit of bureaucratic obstruction of the day. Ah. For all your towering indignation at mystery not treating you as befits a vice-chancellor, there does remain the non-trivial fact that, in spite of everything, you still aren't technically absolutely 100% official. Almost. And it may not matter. But then again, it may. And thanks to your bloody inability to remain consistently inside your own head, you've no idea what you're going to do about it. <sighs> ah, well. Perhaps, if you retrace your steps, you'll stumble upon what you've lost. <sighs> Some hope. But... Some is better than none. So, that was Weatherby. At some point, Standish got what he came for and, and took you with him back up and out. You were feeling pretty numb, weren't listening to the conversation with Dr. Yi and didn't ask. Just followed your chief constable to his car, and there, as luck would have it, was Baz. You'd expected that she'd be having kittens over your brief disappearance. In fact, she had a sort of frozen calm about her, the peacefulness that lies on t'other side of panic. The schedule she'd crafted for your afternoon was a finely tuned machine, and a minute lost could have ruined everything. Of course, everything did get ruined in the end, but that wasn't your fault. Maybe. Anyhow, on to this afternoon and the acclamation of the Vice-Chancellor. Yes, the thing is, you're not technically fully Vice-Chancellor until you've completed this acclamation. That is to say, you've been inaugurated all right. You are the chief executive and prime officer of the University of Aldergate, with all the powers and privileges attendant thereto. <sighs> Except... Aye, there's the rub. Except you can't take any unilateral action. Can't write an order, can't enforce a policy... Can't scratch your arse if doing so would privilege any one college or its interests over any other. Now, 
Not until you've completed this ceremony, Gubbins, which requires that you not only meet with, but eat and drink with the head of every single college. There's a grim little history behind this stricture. Because vice-chancellors are elected by Regent House, the colleges have only so much control over the decision. That's by necessity, of course. If these things were up to the colleges alone, undiluted by the alumni, emeriti, etc., there'd be a civil war every other fortnight. This is well marked and cheerfully acknowledged, but just because the colleges couldn't handle the power of choosing their leader doesn't mean they don't resent not having it. The ritual of acclamation grants de facto veto power by the simple expedient of giving each college the opportunity to poison the new VC before they have a chance to cause any trouble. So it is written, apparently. And so, apparently, it must be. Bears assured you that it's been centuries since a new VC succumbed to campus politics, although Sir Reggie did complain of painful irregularity following his acclamation. <sighs> Just a formality, but an unavoidable one. You've got to break bread, crumble scone, gnaw biscuit, and, in the case of the bester college head, crunch crisps with the captains of each college in turn, and in order of historical precedence. Thirty colleges, thirty college heads. And Baz had concocted a plan for you to run through every single one in time for your address to the regents. That's not essential to the ritual, thankfully, but it would have been nice to have got it all out of the way. You could have told her the whole plan was doomed from the start. What actually doomed it, however, and the parties responsible for the dooming? Well, that you never would have guessed. You still don't understand, and you've no idea what it is you're going to do about it. Well then, the more we learn of Sammy's death, the less we seem to know. The devil's in the details, and the details regarding the sorry pair of severed legs in the basement of Weatherby One are devilish indeed. But no time now to mourn or ponder. It's off to the acclamation and some unforeseen disaster. What mess or mischief has our poor hero gotten himself into this time? We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealdergatepapers.com Find The Aldergate Papers on Apple Podcasts as well. And spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward.
Hi there. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Well, you're in luck. Wednesday Wonders is the mutual audio feed that has all things to do with the world of the unknown. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for amazing audio, or you can find the Wednesday Wonders for all of your sci-fi and fantasy needs in your favorite podcast player. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.